0: told us, well, I hope that of all you become a dentist, you will always have some love for research.
1: Welcome to the Dental Head Start Podcast. I'm David Keir and this episode, we hear the incredible journey of Associate Professor Max Gazado. This is a true journey of education, from helping his mum with the fashion company in Milan, growing up, doing dental technology, becoming a dentist, then practicing oral surgery for years before coming to Australia, doing a PhD, and finally, prosthodontics. It's just incredible the steps Prof. Gazzardo has taken and the level of commitment to education and dentistry he has. I had the pleasure of being taught by Dr. Gazzardo particularly around shades and ceramics and it's something that really inspired me through university. In this podcast, he talks a little bit about surgery, he talks about some suggestions on how to learn surgery properly and then goes through a few mistakes he sees. We talk briefly about materials, we talk about prosthodontics but also about how he's trying to teach what he knows through his company, Highlands PD. And towards the end, we talk about a few key things that Prof Gazzardo wants people to think about when they're getting into dentistry. And as always, we have the Ripe Global segment at the end. We have Dr. Vishal Gupta talking about composites and aesthetics. And this is actually a snippet from his lecture in the Restorative Fundamentals course on Ripe Global. I'll let you know how you can get 20% off that course at the end of this podcast. All right. I hope you enjoyed this inspiring story with Associate Professor Max Gazzardo. Dental Protection Limited, they're more than just an indemnity insurer. Of course, they'll provide the best support they can when you have a tough time and you need them but that goes without saying and they're doing this through their online education but closer to my heart, they're doing it through podcasts now. Their fantastic podcast, Risk Bites, gives you bite-sized information to help you avoid medico-legal risks, but now they've released a pilot episode for their new podcast, Case Matters. It shares all the perspectives in a case from the patient, the practitioner, and the support staff and regulator. Go on the journey with them to learn the lessons that'll help you prevent these very risks. So if you're a member, you'd know all this, but even if you're not, you can get a lot of this information online, check DPL out, and thank you DPL for supporting supporting dental students and graduates and for supporting the Dental Head Start podcast. So it is my absolute pleasure to welcome Associate Professor Max Gazardo to the podcast. Max is someone who actually taught me through um, dentistry, taught me about shade and ceramics and some things that we'll definitely get into today. So welcome to the podcast, Max.
0: Thank you, David, for the invitation. I'm, I'm very excited about having a chat with you about dentistry and not only dentistry. (laughs)
1: <laughs> that's right we're going to cover we're going to cover a whole lot of stuff um, and particularly I think the journey that Max has taken to get to where he is now um, of course um, you can hear an accent um, Prof Gazardo is from Italy obviously um, and so we're going to go through a little bit of that but I just wanted to start with something a little bit random and it's mainly because we're recording on Halloween I heard a, a rumor a story that you sometimes do a CAD CAM course that has a Halloween theme
0: is that right <laughs> absolutely <laughs> Yeah, that's absolutely true. I'm surprised you know about that. <laughs> that was um, organized by Dan from Henry Shine. Dan Burns is a lovely, lovely person, super competent. Unfortunately, he left Henry Shine. He moved back to Canada because he wasn't able to bring his kids here, uh, migration problems. So I didn't feel like having the family half in Canada and half in Australia and his kids are relatively young, 18, 19. So after trying for oh, two or three years, he, he gave up, went back to Canada. And so we organized this um, uh, ceramic uh, cat cam course, uh, hands-on, with Halloween. And I was wearing as a uh, Dumbledore. <laughs> I think we, <laughs> do, do day. have pictures? <laughs> <laughs> we do have some images. And I'll, so I will send you some. I don't, I don't know what they are, but Linda is, is collecting all of that. It was a lot of fun, uh, 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 to be honest. When he came up with the idea, I thought, uh, well, that's that's not that great. That actually turned out really lots of fun. I'm surprised. You're really well informed.
1: <laughs> <So. laughs> well, uh, yes, yeah, so a colleague mentioned it. And I thought I have to bring that up. I'm glad we started with that. Um, obviously, we are going to get into a bit of the education that you provide. Um, but... Let's. We always start from the beginning, uh, Max. And as I said, you're obviously are, are from Italy originally. Tell us about you know growing up in Milan and what made you pursue dentistry.
0: Um, growing up in Milan, growing up in Milan was an accident. My family is originally from Venice, and then my parents, uh, grandparents in particular, saw so that Venice wasn't the place for growth and development. My mom wanted to be into fashion industry. So very, very early, my parents moved to Milan. I was born in Milan. But the rest of my family wasn't in Milan. And so Milan is a financial, economic city. It's a great place to be um, for dentistry. There's no doubt it's a capital of, a, someone may disagree, but it's a capital for quality in Italy. And it was great for me. So at the beginning, um, I'm a mommy boy, <laughs> like all Italians, <laughs> probably. And so I spent lots of time with my mom in, in working in, in, in her company. And I enjoyed it. And they gave me the opportunity to develop, to develop manual skills. And I was also a very particular kid in a way that i rather spend time doing modelism and working with my mom rather than playing soccer.
1: Obviously, that teacher had a big impact on you because you went from being someone who's, you know, using your hands and not so confident and then you, you know, literally 100% in your HSC and your university days. Um, but do you think your mum working in fashion is what gave you that attention to detail and the artistic side of dentistry? Because with what you do now, you know, you're very well known for the the ceramics, the, the artisan side of dentistry, if you will. Um, do you think that tied in?
0: Oh it's amazing your question. I never looked in that way, but I think you're right. <laughs> so, <laughs> I found something interesting. I, I think you're right because my mom was working with very demanding people and I still remember the last time I walked in, in the den, in the fashion laboratory with my mom. I actually by mistake ran off a corner by cutting and sewing a corner of uh, something that I was sewing. And this machine allows you to cut the edge and sew in the meantime. And by mistake, I round off a corner by three or four millimeters, which is, it, it's insignificant in the picture of what you're doing. That part of fabric is folded, so you're not going to see. But my mom was, she flared, and she said, <laughs> you, you're not careful enough about what you're doing. That, I felt so bad. And and I was getting busy with other activities, so that was the last time I actually worked with my mom. Because I said, maybe I'm, I'm you're right, I'm not good enough. <laughs> so you're probably right. Uh, she was super pedantic and very accurate and everything, but in a pleasant way, in a very pleasant way. I don't have any bad memory. Even this one is not a bad memory, but it is, it is a memory. Uh, I think you're right.
1: It forms it forms us. And so now you know your attention to detail. Now you you won't around that corner, so to speak, um, in your dentistry. And, it, you know, when you just described the lab that you've created and this lab is basically created so you can control the outcomes of your lab work, um, I think that really puts that, that it sums it up really well. You were just about to go on to the oral surgery residency that you started just after graduation of dentistry. Tell us how that experience was and what you really got from that.
0: So the experience in oral surgery was really hands-on and and from that perspective, it was awesome because uh, it was very intense, you know, eight hours every single day on, with patients. Uh, and also, what I found that was extremely well organized was a progressive moving from easy procedures, you, you tick your logbook of number of procedures, and then you move on something more complicated. So uh, you're doing your 100 extractions. And then you're allowed to raise a flap. And then you're allowed to suture and do some soft tissue grafting. So after doing something like, you know, 100 procedures with extraction flaps, so you know how to suture, you know how to deal with extractions. Once you've done that, you're doing your wisdom teeth, starting from the upper. When you finish your upper and you you accident-free <laughs> under supervision, <laughs> you move to the lowest, and then you move to impacted canines, impacted premolars, mm. and so on. Mm. And then once you've done that, you can do cysts, tumours, and eventually implants.
1: Yeah. yeah, that's a fascinating way. It's such a structured way to go through it. Structure. I think, um, and it sounds like a fantastic way to go through it. Would you recommend that dentists now, they're graduating they're early in their stages, should they plan to start in that way?
0: Absolutely. And that's why I mention it. Whether you are your private practice or you are part of the larger institution, you should really have a logbook and, and document what you've done, you know, 50 extractions in this way, and then move progressively in, in more difficult steps. And this is part of, um, of the strategy that we, I hope to use for courses that will come soon. It's already part of the Declin dental pros that we run. So students that will join us next year, the first year, they're not going to see patients for full arches on, on Monday on the first day. So they're going to do easy procedures and eventually as they progress, so for example, restoration of posterior single tooth and then restoration of single anterior and then restoration of multi-posterior and then restoration multi-anterior and, and then full arches. So that's that's the way of progressing.
1: And you're building on solid foundations. It's like anything. It makes a lot of sense. You don't learn complex mathematics before you know the basics.
0: Exactly.
1: It's interesting too because that allows if you're using a logbook or if you're following what you're doing and building, you can reflect better and you can learn from your reflection. And I think that's something that helped me in writing down what I did through university and my early days um, and writing my lessons and then reviewing that stuff I'd, sometimes I'd forgotten the lesson that I wrote to myself six months before, and it helped me grow. So oral surgery was good to you. Why did you move away from that towards ceramics?
0: Um, well, you found it out today when you told me about the accuracy of my mom. Thank you for that. <laughs> so what's happening is that finish finished my residency. Even before finishing, I, I had the job, and then I bumped into... A friend of mine graduated with me. The difference between him and me was that he has actually very talented, so it's not fair to say that he was, all, was also very rich. And so in '92, he decided to open a day hospital and involved me. The interesting thing of this relationship which I think is very worthy to mention in a podcast is that we were very, very young, and at the university, we really didn't like each other at all. So it, we were wearing completely different things. And in Italy at the time, there was a, a division between uh, political right wing or or left wing, and it was really a strong division. It doesn't matter if you don't care about politics. You have to take a you have to take a position. Um, and I don't think it's appropriate to explain why it just takes too long. We have to talk about dentistry. But because of that, at university, we we avoided each other very carefully. But after the university, he bumped into me and he said, you know, Max, I, I have to tell you on a personal basis, I really don't like you. <laughs> 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 on a professional basis, you're amazing. So I think I'd really like to work with you. And I look at him and say, you know what? I think exactly the same thing. On a personal ground, I really don't like you. But professionally, yes, you're amazing. So
1: Expectations set.
0: <laughs> yeah, expectations set. We don't, we don't need to be friends. We just need to be professional. And it's difficult when you're only 24, 25. That was my age at the time. So, And uh, 92, Italy had a big financial crisis. And we were at the bank signing a mortgage. And the banker said, I'm sorry, put your pen down. We, we can't give a mortgage because I don't know what the interest rate is going to be tomorrow. Well, on the day after, the interest rate was 27%. And oh, wow. Thank God. Okay, you didn't sign thank that God right. didn't mortgage. Sign. <laughs> <laughs> thank God you didn't sign. Although, uh, my friend decided to put his cash in and he opened this day hospital. So I was employed, I was working with him and I, and he had two surgeries despite the young age. And he showed a level of maturity, which is amazing at that age because he was growing professionally and as a business and he was able to manage everything with obviously a little bit of help from me and some other associates. The environment was amazing. We had a GA room. Um, with video cameras. Uh, We had four chairs in one surgery, four in the other. Uh, With the equipment, it was fantastic. And despite the financial crisis, the business went very well. But then what happened, they opened a lab as well, and I found that the the prosthetic side of what I was doing uh, just wasn't as I expected so the, the careful details, if you want to put it down in this way. So I started looking to the laboratory side. I went back to my first job, and I bumped into amazing technicians, one just outside Milan, and, um, and I learned a lot from there. And then I decided to start restoring my own implants and, and try to improve the ceramic aspect there you might remember the 90s saw the revolution of the pressable ceramics and all products from Vita, Inseram in particular. So the use of metal ceramics was was going progressively down because now you have all ceramic solutions that are absolutely amazing and work very well. Not for all cases, so metal ceramic was uh, still extremely important. The Empress Inseram, allow you to to handle single tooth restoration very, very well. So from that point, I started restoring my cases and do more and more prosthodontics and a little bit less surgery. And in particular, the type of surgery I dropped was the one I never enjoyed. There was the removal rather than the constructive side. So even during the residency, my colleagues were definitely – Split in two parts: the one who love removing things, and the other one who love actually adding things. So removing, I mean extractions, cysts, uh, all of this type of situation. Benign tumors, we we didn't do any malignancy uh, treatment uh, because you need a maxillofacial surgeon. That's a different situation. Um, and uh, and there was the other one that loved to do reconstructive. So in particular bone grafting. And at the time bone grafting was really at the beginning. So we were the first introducing sinus lifting in Italy, I would say. So actually that, that's incorrect. Uh, when I said the first, I I'll refer to the first thing in Europe was an Italian. And then we we started doing lots of sinus lift inspired by this surgeon from Bologna, if I don't remember wrongly. So we were between the first in Europe to do that sinus lift and also some of the first people using Gore-Tex membranes. Uh, you might have heard of, because they haven't been sold for, for a while, not resolvable membrane from Gore-Tex. And that opened the door to lots of new developments. It was pretty amazing. Um, and then progressively I moved to, into restorative, in the meantime, the political situation in Italy changed quite dramatically. And that affected me. And when I was basically at the peak of my career in Italy, I made a, a, a crazy decision, uh, in the hindsight, not crazy at all, to leave the country. You have questions, David, about so, this? Otherwise, I'm politics. Yeah, really
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can we could talk politics, but we might lose a few listeners. Um
0: <laughs> it's, I don't it's, think so. It's very <laughs> relevant.
1: Yeah, I can imagine actually it'd be a, a difficult time and a really big decision and obviously it's changed your life in more ways than one. But I want to just touch on something, um, and I'm I'm not sure if there'll be much to this or not, but you talked about some different oral surgeons who are interested more in the uh removal compared to the addition, you know, the constructive or or the um basically removing disease. Do you see a difference in the surgery performed, and what I'm thinking about is um, I talk with some oral surgeons who you know the kind of thing is get it out, get it quick um, efficiency and and good surgery as opposed to a more um, minimally invasive surgery um, especially when we're thinking about implants. Do you see a difference there, or do you see surgery as one thing really
0: uh, <laughs> I think a good surgeon is able to change a technique according to the need. So I was trained that if you're a good surgeon, you have to open wide. Um, But if you're a good surgeon, you know when you don't need to open wide. (laughs) I think that's the point.
1: Do you, um, in your extraction work for implants, are you doing most of your sectioning of the teeth as opposed to removing bone? Is there any differences or things that you want people to think about in that space?
0: Absolutely. Uh, You already answered the question. Uh, as we do the extraction, we try to be extremely conservative. So we're doing lots of sectioning of roots uh, and try to remove uh, segments. Um, I barely use forceps uh, really to grab it. Uh, I don't I don't really try. I'm very concerned about having fractures or the alveolar. So, yeah, the technique is definitely extremely conservative, sectioning and removing uh, fragments, even when you raise a flap.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's just for vision. It's still yeah, conservative on the bone. Uh, is there anything, and I know that you don't, I guess this is not the space that you're you know mostly working in, but with students and graduates, just thinking about young dentists, I guess, is there any surgical mistakes you think are maybe happening that they could be thinking more about? Is it perhaps just sectioning more or anything like that?
0: Surgical mistakes. Um, I think one of the main surgical mistakes that I see recently is the lack of uh, knowledge about the patient, uh, medical conditions in general. Um, I think the population is aging. There's lots of people taking medications that can lead to some serious complications uh, during the surgical and post-surgical. There's lots of patients on bisphosphonates, prolia, and some of these patients don't even remember they are taking the pink tablet every day. So you really need to investigate. And recently, whenever I see, i sorry, thunderstorm. I don't know.
1: If you, we have a storm about to come through as well, and we're yeah, a couple hundred kilometers apart. So that's it's, fine. It's
0: pretty wild outside. Just wanted to let you know, I had lunch. That wasn't my Yeah, start. yeah that was not <laughs> <laughs> okay. So it's going back to there. I think one of the mistakes we see is not being well prepared for the patient, number one. So underestimating medical history and your workflow. So whenever I see a patient and I'm suspecting that they are on some medications, I take a list of what they're taking. By the same token, we always contact the GP. And 90% of GPs are actually, again, number one, are very effective and they email us back a list of, Medications, the passion is on up to date, and the two things never correspond. So,
1: the more you do it, the more you realize you have to do it. That's you
0: have to do it, and it doesn't problem. take long. And, and mm. it's something where my reception is pretty good. And yeah, they're not good in other things, but this one is pretty good. <laughs> that's number one. I think number two is really um, perhaps not having. A clear idea of what you're trying to achieve. Um, And that comes uh, really with experience alternatively with supervision. So even now, there's I think university is pretty common to raise flap and take away bone to remove roots. And that leaves a biological damage which is massive and permanent, in particular when you have a vertical bone loss. so that's really a pity. Uh, also, another mistake is perhaps uh, not understanding the equipment. So, for example, in my practice, we have a piece of surgery, any type of hand pieces and this. And I have to say, I do have very skilled associates working with us that occasionally, and they normally leave difficult surgery to me. And because of that, when it happens, they have to do some surgical for a number of reasons. For example, patient requires and I'm not available, so it has to be done. And they are skilled, so, so they, they can do that, but they don't know the equipment very well. So they miss the opportunity, not only they don't, uh, to use the equipment properly, they miss the opportunity to understand that we have a series of elevators that can be used in particular situations For example, just to give you an example. So if you want to bring it down to a sport, you know, you play tennis, you want to know the tennis racket you're using because that will affect the way you you play. So you want to know about the tension of your cords and so on because are you going for power? Are you going for control? And so similarly, as in dentistry, you need to know your equipment very well. Once you know the patient, you know your equipment. What do you need to know? You need to know yourself. How, far, how much do I know so that I can push my technique? You need to push yourself because otherwise you would never learn. So you can't always do what is comfortable to you, say, in your comfort zone. You have to go out. There's no doubt about that. But the same token, you have to go out safely. And so I think that's the recommendation number one. If you are a new graduate, try to work in a team with people that already make mistakes. Don't learn from your mistakes. Learn from someone else's mistake. I think that's probably, and I was very lucky from that perspective because I always work in a team and I've always been very humble to ask for help if I need it. Mm. That, There's nothing the to thing. be ashamed.
1: That's the other thing, isn't it? Asking for help, like actually proactively reaching out and and, yeah. and getting the help instead of just hoping you'll absorb the help. <laughs> um, t- well, just on that topic, tell us a little bit about any of the key mentors you had um, through the early years.
0: Well, definitely in Italy, I have plenty. As a dental technician, um, as a surgeon, I feel my mentor, was Julia leghisa uh, is still still working. He is he's an amazing surgeon. Um, and I have plenty more in Italy. As we moved to Australia, I think Michael Swain, when I did my PhD, so I moved to Australia in 98. And I think I told you, we, I moved really because I saw that Italy was down from a cultural perspective. And I think once you lose the culture, uh, then you lose everything. And with culture, I mean the Anglo-Saxon way of meaning culture because the italian way is slightly different but the anglo-saxon way is really the environment the values that you have and how you related to other people uh, once you lose lost there uh, in a meaning that is degrading and then it's very difficult to grow personally as a business and so on and that's exactly what happened and you see that from a political perspective and then it reflects on business and so on. So I moved to Australia in 98 December. And then uh, um, in 99, I studied English. Uh, my French wasn't too bad, but my English was zero. And in 2000, I enrolled into a master in dental materials with Marcus Wayne. Marcus Wayne is is one of the brightest minds I ever bumped into my life. It's just... Uh, is just so bright, so smart in, in any side of his life and 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 he's super competent. So I learned a lot. As a matter of fact, with my PhD with him, I published 15 papers and uh, and I published two papers in biomaterials. And biomaterials has an impact factor of eight point nine. So it's almost impossible for a dentist to to publish in biomaterials where we manage because the quality of the papers were just um, pretty amazing so
1: yeah, after, he's a professor of biomaterials is that that's right, right. Yeah, so yeah yeah, yeah. I think he, actually, retired now. he did some or we, we had exposure to him through the university i think in my time if if i'm not mistaken and i remember he was yeah an amazing person so can i can i just touch on or highlight a point that amazes me I, i'm uh, i speak english i have no um i'm I never learned a language. It's something I I wish I did. But to hear that you've gone through all this part of your life, you're probably close to 30 or so at this time, and then you go to a country speaking a language that you're not really familiar with, and then you go do a PhD in English, that is incredible. How did you – did you just put all your time into that and and build your English skills and then go straight into the university side? Yes. It's fascinating.
0: Yeah, so when I moved here, uh, I joined the uh, Centre for English Teaching at the University of Sydney. And, uh, and I was full on. So uh, I was at school from eight to two and not young, 34 already. Um, and uh, obviously, two o'clock, everything is finished. And all the other guys will go to Bondi chasing girls. And I tell you, at the age of 34, 34 sorry, that's very tempting. You still, <laughs> actually, you really want to. <laughs> the, the, no i was actually studying yeah, uh, yeah, continuously yeah. and yeah. you know i studied with other people that had the same need so I, I did have a social life and you do need to have a social life because it's part of learning a language anyway but the focus was the language and and the culture i, I don't like those people or i disagree with those people migrating to another country and try to bring their own culture in any aspect of the life. Just embrace, we have a country, you don't. You just keep the, the aspect of your own culture, take the good ones and keep it in a drawer. <laughs> <laughs> and now you're here, just embrace. And that's exactly what I did. So I avoided my community as much as possible, besides living with an Italian lady and her family, uh, besides the... the my contact with the Italian community was almost zero. And, and I actually really enjoy embracing Australian culture. I, that's what I needed.
1: Yeah, and that's what you were looking for. That's what I was yeah.
0: looking for. Yeah. Exactly.
1: With the, the PhD ceramics, um, obviously at this time, you uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you hadn't yet registered as a dentist in Australia or were you going through that process as well?
0: I went through the process as well. So I registered in 2002. And that's also part of learning the language. When I started in 99 with my master, actually 2000, my level was uh, I have all papers. I'm doing literature review and for my research. And on the side, uh, the Oxford Dictionary. (laughs) (laughs) You can imagine how effective and efficient that was. Uh, There was no Wikipedia at the time. And so internet was super slow. If you wanted to have a paper, you have to go to the library and manually search. And if it's not available, then you request it to the librarian. It was so much slower than now. Uh, But I did it anyway. So uh, after all, I think the brain can take only this much every day. (laughs) So <laughs> Your brain matter. can take a fairly <laughs> high level. Let's be well, <laughs> it's still restricted. Still restricted. So <laughs> the speed of the information is not that important. Is the speed of uh, learning that. Um So I passed my registration exam in 2002, and that was also a very interesting experience uh, from a from a human perspective as well, because I bump into lots of people and that needed to pass the exam, to run away from places where their life was in danger. So I, I remember from that perspective, uh, probably not very interesting for the podcast, but interesting from a human perspective. Uh, one of the, I was teaching uh, with Roland Bryan, you might remember, definitely one of my mentors, at least from a human perspective, is, is an amazing person. So very dedicated to teaching, very fair. So a a person I would never forget. I really like him. And I was teaching with him, and uh, there was a, a dentist from India that tried to pass the exam. In the meantime, he was redoing the last two years of dentistry. And we have conversations from time to time. He managed to pass the exam, and then he gave me all material that you need to prepare your registration exam. as a sign of friendship, and then he told me, Max, you really want to pass this exam. Go to Melbourne. There's a course uh, for four weeks. Uh, Don't worry about the course. There's nothing that you can learn from that. But stay in the international accommodation, international students' accommodation, and when it's dinner time, go downstairs. You will see a table with Indians only sitting there. <laughs> they have all exam questions. <laughs> Try to become friend of them. You're a little bit too pale to do that. Yeah, yeah, you <laughs> but, yeah. but you you find a way. So that's exactly what I did. I went to Melbourne. I rolled into the course, and uh, I went downstairs where you, you have dinner, and I saw the Indian table, and happened there was a seat available. So when they kick me out of the table, (laughs) so you don't belong. The day day after, I did exactly the same thing, the same thing, until one of them started laughing, (laughs) looked at me and said, okay, what do you want? So I told the story my friend. They told me to come and talk to the Indian mafia, and that's what I did. And this guy was coming from Sri Lanka and already passed the exam there, only partially, so he had to do remediation of one topic. And uh, uh, he managed to pass uh, that, that half of his family was killed and for him passing the exam was important. So uh, that's the story with the registration exam.
1: It really shows, yeah, the, um, the you know the challenges some people go through and the, the stress that they must be under in that exam. And it's something I don't think us... Australians particularly Australians who've been born here can fully grasp it so it's important we keep that in the back of our mind when you came to Australia you went into the PhD why don't you just do the exam and study dentistry and, and stay as a general dentist what motivates you
0: actually the PhD was um, I don't think my English was sufficient to deal with people in an acceptable manner So PhD was a way of learning the language a little bit better and forced me into writing and speaking to a different level because as a PhD candidate, you also have to present internationally. Um, I I thought it was the right decision. And I've learned a lot. So. It was okay. Clearly
1: shaped you know, the future years because you then went on um, with a passion for ceramics and moved into prosthodontics doing the declin dent. Um, tell us quickly how, how was that? How did you enjoy going through the declin dent? I, I guess you were, were you perhaps a little older than some of the other students at that time or how did that fall in?
0: Um, so, what happened after my PhD was uh, 2003. Uh, I worked as a general dentist for six months. And then I talked to my wife and said, I really can't do this because I never work as a general dentist. So I I think my level just wasn't appropriate at all. So because of that, uh, we decided to set up a business of dental implants in your surgery. There's lots of people doing that even now, uh, which is a quite interesting service. If you know what you're doing and you're organized, um, so you don't need to send the patient somewhere else. And we did that for only two years, uh, because actually I thought that it was very challenging to offer the service that you have to offer when you can't bring all of your equipment. And so, and so we in 2006 we opened a practice in Piedmont, and gradually we we stop all traveling and and we ask a dentist to refer here. And I have to say, of course, we lost a few and and we gain a few, and, and but at least I had control of the situation. So 2006, uh, and I was still teaching because I started doing my PhD, and, and then it went on, uh, and then uh, I was invited to be part of Declin Dent, the external program, and I thought that was a, a great opportunity. I didn't even try to register as an oral surgeon because I understand it's just impossible to compare the two degrees of the Anglo-Saxon system or well, the Italian was. Uh, didn't even want to have a discussion on that. It didn't matter. Um, but I had the opportunity to do prosthodontics, and I thought that was amazing because it, it fulfilled basically all. Actually, completes the all um, learning of reconstruction. So from dental technology, dentistry, oral surgery. Uh, ceramic, a PhD, and prosthodontics. So I've touched deeply every, every aspect of reconstruction or reconstructed dentistry or rehabilitation. So and that's why I did Deacon Dentist external 2006-2009. And then I moved to private practice again as a specialist, and I was offered a position as associate professor, and that's what I've been doing since then.
1: Most of what you've done with your studies has all, always um, included educating others, but also the research side. What is it that fascinates you about the research side and what keeps you staying within that field?
0: Um, okay, I think a researcher the love for research comes in in two ways. One there's always a person inspiring you, or maybe you don't think about that. But when I did my degree in Italy, uh, professor of biology. His name is Sicardi. He was one of the first uh, people involved with the um, with the discovery of HIV virus. And it uh, was a pure researcher. He was teaching in medicine, and dentistry was associated to, med- to medicine at that time. So he was lecturing us. And at the very last day, he told us, well, I hope that... Or you become a dentist, you will never lose, or you will always have some love for research. And that sentence really hit me. Say, well, again, I never look into that way. But yes, I'm interested in research. I'm interested in testing, verifying. And I don't want to be told, I don't want to believe without testing, without putting my hands on. So skeptical maybe. And that's why I really enjoy my PhD. I thought it was, was great. What I don't like of research is there are very, some negative aspects. Of the need for grants uh, and all of these applications that drive you completely crazy, that's number one. You know, the way you fund your research is it's just not very nice. That's one problem. So that's why I'm not researcher full-time. Uh, I would just hate that. I like the curiosity aspect. There's no, there's no doubt. But as a general dentist, you will find it really difficult to do research. It's, it's extremely difficult, or even as a specialist, you know. Um, so I don't know if you want to aid it with uh, David. But probably the question about research is the curiosity – the function of a PhD, learning the language, publishing. But you can imagine also, there's lots of these papers that are published are completely useless to the dental community, you know. Um, you, you, You have to have rigor and publish in that manner and take information from that. But there's so much work that is published that has no use. And there's all a politics behind of who's publishing, who's not publishing, which is also quite um, uh, useless as well.
1: I hear the way you're you're kind of describing it is the passion is actually to find the answers. It's it's quality, it's evidence-based, but there are obviously challenges with research as well. I think, as you've mentioned, as I'm sure you agree, that it's giving back as well. It's allowing people that are just, you know, the, the people not researching to have the answers, which... Is kind of part of this podcast. So I'm going to tie that into the, um, the PhD in ceramics. And um, I, want to think, I want you to think about you know, young dentists and ceramics, and most of us are doing um, all ceramics in different ways. What mistakes do you see in the ceramic world that dentists are making? And, and what things do you think we should really be thinking about?
0: Oh, okay. We go back to what we discussed before. Um, this time I put it down in this way just pretend that you're not a dentist anymore, you're a chef. And okay, and your restoration is your dish. Okay, would you ever imagine to put together your dish without knowing your ingredients?
1: <laughs> That's just that is perfect, Max. Yeah. <laughs> um.
0: That's mistake number one.
1: Yeah, 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 Yep. Yeah. I like so that. So
0: most of the people are cooking without knowing the difference between garlic and onion, and and other things. So the mistake that I see constantly is that people don't understand the difference between Emacs, Zirconia, Enamic. They're totally confused. And because they're totally confused, they don't know how to handle the ceramic. They don't know how and whether to etch it. They don't know how to bond it. So if you know your ingredients, the second thing that you need to know is what temperature you set for your furnace. so mm. oven in this case. <laughs> yeah, okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. What temperature and uh, and how you use your pots and, and so on. So all of us, you're just not a chef. You're just a cook. And <laughs> So it depends uh, if you're professional or not.
1: That is just the most perfect and succinct explanation of that I've ever heard. I appreciate that very much. Um, let's talk about what the chef's using to cook. Um lab or CAD CAM, you have a lab that you literally developed to have quality control and to meet the levels that you expect. Um, what do you see in those two spaces, CAD CAM versus impressions versus using a lab, doing it yourself? Um, what can you add for young dentists in that space?
0: Okay, so um, I think that probably something I want to talk about, we, we just bump into this, um, we have always been digital uh, they're not excessively digital so just next to me there's a, there's a, a plan meal uh, we bought the first one when it came out I always used the CEREC previously so I think the chairside CAD-CAM is awesome it's a great service but to be able to do it properly you need to make a little bit of an effort because otherwise you yeah, have very high inaccuracy very poor anatomy. So the machine is not fully automatic. You need to control it and you need to learn how to scan, how to improve the anatomy and so on. Now, the second digital workflow is when you use your intra scanner and you send this to the lab. And everything is designed digitally. In the meantime, your laboratory is doing a 3D printed model. And then... The last touch is done on the model. So this workflow has been attempted 10 years ago, not with 3D printed, made four years ago with 3D printing and abandoned because the accuracy just wasn't in there. So a seeker came out and offering a quality product. So we waited a little bit. And now finally we finished some testing. And to me, the progression and the way that we work in dentists is exactly like this. Are you familiar with copper plating, silver plating models?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: It really, it doesn't even belong to my generation. Just before that, you take, you took an impression, you do your copper plating, which means the, the inside of the impression is made of with a thin layer of copper, copper or silver. The silver was toxic, so you left it out copper only, and then you make your dye in acrylic, and then you make your model. You can imagine how laborious this is. And, and you play with lots of substances that are really not nice to touch and to deal with. And but the accuracy of that model is amazing. But because it's not pleasant, it takes so much time, you can make mistakes. It was abandoned and we move into dye storm. And in the middle, it was also the epoxy resin model, which is very hard, a little bit less accurate than die stone, but the better because it doesn't chip. So the reason why we move from copper plating to die stone is simply because uh, it's too laborious, that we lost accuracy. And now we're moving from die stone to 3D printing, not because it's more accurate, because Normally, making a die stone according to today's standards is actually too laborious. (laughs) So you want something fast. Everything has to go faster. We're the instant
1: generation, aren't we? (laughs) Exactly.
0: But not only that, the person making that model is normally the last one employed in the laboratory, the junior, and is the one making mistakes. So there's a mistake in the model. That mistake is carried along the oil processing of restoration. So you really want to have that model done perfectly. So all great technicians train very well the person making the model or do it personally because you can't compromise that step. So the 3D printer take it away, takes away that sort of uh, um, uh, uncertainty and inconsistency, but the accuracy is just not there compared to stone, And that's a bit of a problem.
1: And this is relating to your most recent testing with your that's right. stuff. Yeah, okay. okay.
0: That's right. So to a young dentist, if you jump into um, into digital, the fact that the restoration comes back and you need to adjust your po- your crucial contents and the contact points and you have to do that each single time you cement a restoration, that's not a standard. Don't get used to that. That's not acceptable. Uh, you you got to handle the material just poorly. So the standard is that the restoration comes and 90% of the time you cement it with almost not touching that or minor polishing with diamond impregnated rubber. That's what you should aim to. There's yeah, no what you need for
1: high-speed polishing at all. And, and if right. you do, then polishing it properly afterwards Um we, yeah, that's something that's been covered on this podcast, that people get a bit quick and lazy with that, but you leave cracks. And leaving cracks, it'll be the demise of the whole restoration.
0: Potentially. So the question is, one is the standard. The second one is communication. Most of the problems that we have in the lab is because the communication between the dentist and our technicians is poor. And most of the time it's poor is because what the clinician is asking is technically not possible to be delivered in the way the dentist would like to see. And also lack of records. That's what we see, insufficient records to be able to do what the dentist wants to well have done.
1: For example, leaving out a bite registration or, or, or do you mean um, taking a model that's got inaccuracies that are obvious?
0: For example... Uh, things that we've seen quite regularly. Um, let's say that the only contents are four teeth on quadrant one and four. And on the left, you have four implants and you have your healing abutments and maxillary dentation is in there. But all you have in mandibular is four healing abutments. And then you squeeze uh, 1.5 centimeters of PVS registration, bioregistration material, ask the patient to bite, and the only content you have is the healing abutments and the teeth on, one, on the other side on 1.5 centimeters of PVS bioregistration material and you expect that that is sufficient for bioregistration. Uh, if you your bioregistration is accurate it's just luck. Yeah. It's impossible. <laughs> so uh, Obviously, the dentist has been, in this case, lazy and incompetent. So if you send this type of information to the lab, the lab just can't provide accuracy at all. Yeah, you,
1: you can't expect the right outcome. Well, um, just for our sake, what would you do in that situation with your registration?
0: Well, you think about whenever you have a bioregistration, think about a rigid model. So to me, the PVS is also very dangerous material because what's happened when you squeeze it in is set so fast, when the patient is biting on, is already setting, that means it's under compression. And when finally set, the patient is opening the mouth, and the material is expanding. So by doing that, what's happening is when you transfer this on the model, it is always, always lifted on that side. So actually, I, I barely use a PVS as a bioregistration material. I use always something rigid, for example, I'm using uh, GC pattern resin, which is acrylic, shrinks uh, moderately, and you have to make sure you don't engage undercuts. So if you have a case like that one we're discussing, you really, what I do in that case, first of all, I take an impression, I verify the impression, meaning I have a model, and I'm using using, temporary titanium healing abutments, which are linked in the model, then I separate them with GC pattern resin. And then I put this in the mouth and I relink link them in the mouth. And then I transfer all of this information on the model. So it's been done on the model, it's been separated, put in the mouth, linked together, go back to the model. So if it fits on the model, and that means that it's accurate because it was fitting in the mouth. So also the temporary healing abutments are shorter than the bite. So when the patient is biting together, I'm building up some contacts with GC pattern resin. So now all of this is rigid. It doesn't bounce anywhere. It's rigidly connected to the implant and it's touching the other teeth and it's got an indentation of the other teeth of a GC pattern resin. So when you put this back to the model and you try to articulate, it doesn't wobble around is realistic connection. So this is as accurate as it gets. And it saves lots of time.
1: Yeah, well, that's right. If you have accuracy, then when you get your um, prosthesis back, it's it's gonna fit. You're saving yourself so much headache. That, that's actually really interesting. I, um, I think you, perhaps you taught us that, um, but I must admit I've never used pattern resin for bite in that way, but I also don't provide implants and not nearly the level you're doing. Um, a lot of this stuff, um, you know, a lot of what you've learned, you're you're starting to give back a lot by doing courses and providing um, education through Highlands Professional Development. Um, tell us a little bit about why and how that came a, a, um, about and, and what you guys are doing there.
0: <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, at the beginning, it was really giving back. Yeah? There's no doubt about that. So, I, I think it would be really selfish to to complete a degree, two masters, a PhD, just don't share this information. <laughs> it would be, be crazy. Even because all people I've bumped into before, they were people that learned so much and they share the information with me. So it's pretty normal to do that. That's the positive. The negative was that the way we started sharing, this started from the ADI and the idea you, you don't need to edit that you can leave it <laughs> the idea had their own targets, goals and I think they have a very clear business idea of what they're trying to achieve and so we really had a very different opinion of what the quality of the course is supposed to be and so it was very difficult to run courses where if you finish up. Five minutes past five, and that's that's terrible, you know. Uh, they want to close that time. They have to make sure that we've, we if we prepare teeth, has to be two teeth per day, no more. So uh, to control costs and so on. So that didn't work very well at all. Um, and so we decided to start with the university. It was pretty normal. I was teaching university. And again, uh, the university was having a little bit of crisis from that perspective. So they also, there was lots of politics as well. So I, I have no choice but to leave that environment as well. And at that time, the person in charge of university said, oh, look, at it. if you want to do that, you can run your courses on your own. Uh, lots of people do that. But, you know, without university, it's difficult to succeed. And actually, we were very successful. Uh, we opened a practice in Barrow years ago which is beautifully organized for continuing education. And probably you're not familiar with Barrow, but it's one hour, 20 minutes out of Sydney. So the last thing that you will say, people will drive to come to Barrow to attend a course and say, that's not a great idea. You should be in Sydney. (laughs) But again, this idea came from a friend of mine in Italy, an amazing surgeon in Milan, who opened a practice two hours away from the city in a hilly region with lots of wine, amazing food. And Baro looks exactly like that. So. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he set up his continuing education center and, and surgery. And he, it was extremely successful because I think everybody enjoys the idea of detaching, get away from the city, and, and be in an amazing environment. So we've been running courses in there for three years now. And. They've always been successful and sold out. And I think one of the keys of the success is uh, it's an extremely relaxed environment. We don't care about what time we finish. Uh, food is amazing. We go to a – last year we went to – for three years we went to a, a two-star Michelin restaurant um, in between the two days of the course. Um, so we, we don't really sacrifice uh, – resources in return of poor catering, for example. We just want to make sure that the experience is a five star from any perspective, uh, including accommodation and food, and teaching. So it's very intense Mm. in teaching because we never stop.
1: It's the, it's again coming back to that level of quality and providing, you know, that higher level service. I I haven't um, been down to your practice, um, but I have got colleagues who have given very high regards and reviews to, you know, what you do, what you're doing there. And I tell you what, I'm definitely going to be keeping my eye out and hopefully coming down to barrel. Um, It's interesting to
0: absolutely visit. You should run some of your things in the. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well i'm not doing much teaching but um at the same time you have a facility that is world-class there so i hear and um but also at the same time you know the concept of going somewhere for cpd i, I personally and i'm sure many listeners would agree that that is what people many people desire I, I live outside of the city anyway so i'm traveling and if i've traveled to sydney city that's not quite as nice as a hilly wine and food-based region like barrel um i, I grew up south of sydney so i know barrel well but you also do courses, um, you, you run one or have run one um, each year in Italy. Tell us about a little bit about that course. Um, we're going to start to wrap up, but I just want to touch on it. Um, it, it would be nice to talk about good.
0: university as well if we have two minutes. Oh,
1: yeah, true. We, we can touch yeah. on that, definitely. Um,
0: you, you can edit, cut away some of my youth. It is not important, I believe. Um, um, okay, the course in, in Italy started with... Um, I think it's amazing, this story, because it started with um, um, an excuse to travel to Italy and say, oh, I have to go for work.
1: I'm saying, yeah, I'm hearing tax deduction. (laughs) Uh,
0: I I intentionally avoided tax deduction um, because (laughs) tax evasion came to my mind. (laughs) So the idea was, you know, we... Zikon is only half an hour away from that place and where we organize it is in the Dolomites. Again, a, a four star resort that is equal to a five star, um, inexpensive for what they offer and is just in front of 480 kilometers of slopes. So, of skiing. Um, and I know this place very well because that's where I spent my childhood. And uh, we've been in that for many years in a row. And I said, wow, it would be nice to come with some Australian friends, you know, share my origins and just have some fun with them. So we decided to set up this course that was supposed to be uh, the latest in dentistry. And we invited a person and then other people joined. So we had a very large group. The interesting thing is that Everybody wanted to be a presenter, and everybody was so excited about presenting. So initially, I was supposed to run two hours every single evening on different topics of dentistry. I ended up with one hour in the whole week. <laughs> so in the whole week, because everybody was presenting. We have Glenn Lillo from Perth, who is an amazing prosthodontist and presenter, with a a, a great experience in implants and oral surgery as well, we had Ali Dar and Delilah, you probably know orthodontist, my best friend for sure, and everybody was so serious and stressed about their presentations you know <laughs> it's a hard the night yeah yeah, everybody going to dinner with a laptop and 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 polish presentation, so I actually had lots of fun, and during the day, we were obviously skiing together and we have different itinerary every day. And because this place puts five valleys together, so each day I had a different target that I'm talking about kilometers and crossing valleys every day. So I anticipate if you want to come with me, that you will have 10 minutes to to go to the bathroom and 15 minutes to swallow a sandwich. And the rest is go, 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 go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so most of the people it. join us. And, and I was with the kids, so it's possible to do it. But my kids are crazy skiers. Um, yeah, uh, it's possible to do it. We lost only a few people. And we have only two in hospital. Yeah. <laughs> only two. Only
1: two. That's, you know, the yeah, odds, actually, odds are low.
0: Actually, it yeah. wasn't bad at all because, <laughs> um, yeah, there's so many people and it's, it's possible to have accidents. It, it was great fun. And as soon as the situation made it possible, we would definitely organize it again. Yeah, for sure it's
1: um please uh, send me an email because absolutely <laughs> there's a few things that are close to my heart one is um, snowboarding the snow of the mountains um, and of course my wife who loves Italy so I, it'll be an easy Great. Uh we will be there <laughs> speaking of this and you know this course and the the teaching you do the businesses you've been within and the experience you've had in business um, tell us a little bit about your experience in business and and you did mention a little bit before about the models of business at the moment and some things you wanted to convey there
0: okay so um a few messages let's see i'm not organized for this when you started with the podcast and you mentioned that i'm not a businessman at all but i think i've done a few right decisions in my life from that perspective and and i really want to share it number one is For a second, just stop thinking as a dentist and think like um, uh, you have a business and you're selling a product. So what is your product? My recommendation is take the items from the ADA and literally go through that and think about each single item that is what you invoice to the patient. That's your product. And think about each single thing that you do to deliver that item and the standard that you offer to the passion when you deliver that item and your skills in doing that. So even a checkup and clean. Uh, if you think in this way, when I take my car to have a service, I get ripped off everywhere, every single time. And the person who does the service is my best friend. <laughs> and he told me, he is because I happen to be one of my best friends, and he told me they would spend 42 to 45 minutes on my car. And they charge $1,100. And they have a the cost of material of roughly $100. But when I pick up the car, the car is clean, polished, smells good, and a person will entertain me. To show what has been done with a sort of paperwork, I'm sure you've gone through the same experience with your car, whatever car you have. So when we do checkup and clean, the culture is to do it really quickly and get the passion out of the chair. And wouldn't be better to make sure that you don't hurt the passion, that your ultrasonic is a quality ultrasonic that doesn't hurt when you finish off. Uh, electrical ultrasonic, you use the hand scaler and clean each single tooth. Make sure you polish, make sure you floss it, make sure that you give instructions. And at the end, you should fill a report on what general conditions are, and also provide if there's any work needs to be done on the spot. Don't take 15 minutes to do that. Take one hour, 15 minutes. Don't charge, no gap. Charge a little bit more. Do you understand what I mean? And in this way, just go through each single item that you have on the IDA, ADA, sorry, and think about what you provide. So when you issue a ceramic crown, is that a monolithic? Is the posterior? How is the match? How long did it take to fit? How competent you are in doing all of that? Wherever you see deficiency just walk on to improve it, that's your product. And try to do it in a clean environment with Netflix on the TV in the ceiling and all of this. Obviously, you will see that you will have restrictions because that's not your surgery. You work for a corporation. I can't put the TV on the ceiling and I can't put Netflix. Okay, that comes for level two. So now I'm a provider and I provide items in this way. Because I work for a corporation, I have a restriction of so what the corporation wants me to do. Do I accept that or I want to go my own way? So if you accept that, just keep in mind that if you work for a corporation, you can be fired anytime. time. And therefore, what's left to you, it's your product that you supply. So we go back to the step number one. So if your product is very poor, you're nobody. That's competition. You lost everything, basically. Or you're, just not, you're not easily employable.
1: It's commoditized as well. Commoditized. There's no value above the general.
0: That's right. So my best friend in Italy decided to take the direction of a corporation. And it was a private-public situation where it's common in Italy – So it's a it's a a joint venture between a private institution, subsidized the public system. So he felt extremely safe until the principal dentist changed and the principal dentist decided to employ different people and at the age of forty eight he lost his job. So he lost his job and we went back to number one. What are your what is your product? And because he was lazy and fitted into the culture of not improving continuously, his product was very poor. So he found very difficult to find a job in uh, Europe with deep prices. So his salary was 15 euros per hour, including taxes, in another job that he found after losing that. I don't know if you understand what 15 euros per hour is, even in Italy. So it's very difficult to make a living. So that comes basically to the second step. You want to stay for a corporate, work with a corporation, or you want to set up your business. Well, I'll let everybody make their own reasoning, but it makes lots of sense that before opening your business, the first thing that you have to have is products. So make sure that you provide a standard which will be sufficient to be better than Max or when you open in front of Max or open so, offer something different, which I obviously encourage everybody to do it. When you open, one thing I noted in dentistry is that we are strongly individualistic. This is a big mistake. You, you just pay an enormous price by doing that because you can team up with people and the first thing that you get Set up a system of feedback on quality control. If I'm working with you, David, if we start working tomorrow, I don't care if I have 30 years experience and you have three. I will ask you to check my treatment. And I guarantee you that you will pick something that should have been done differently because you see things in a different manner. So having David working with me, is a great asset because he helped me improve. And that's the first step. The second is a great asset because we actually work in a synergic manner. So we share the cost of premises, we share the cost of reception, we share the cost, and we have two brains rather than one. And if we work well together, it's a win-win situation. So I recommend everybody to read the book, a very old one, The Seven Habits of Very Effective Mm. People. Is I don't know Steve if you're familiar Stephen with Stephen
1: Covey? Or?
0: I think so. I'm uh, yeah, looking yep. for uh, that. We, maybe when you add it, you can yeah, add Yeah, the, we'll link it up. It's yeah. Seven
1: Habits of Highly Effective People, I think.
0: It's funny because I read this book uh, years ago, but I forgot about that. And then I pick it up um, maybe a month ago as I'm driving to Barrow. And I say, oh, my God, I'm doing almost all of that. Then the third thing is when you organize all of that, it has to be tax-effective. So when I moved here, being Italian, in Italy, if you work and invoice each single thing that you do and you pay taxes on, exactly as the law would tell you, you will be just poor. (laughs) So tax evasion, but the real one, not like having holidays somewhere else, tax evasion, not deduction, is extremely common. So patients will pay cash, you will never declare this cash. In Australia, I don't think you need to do that. <laughs> That's good to what know. You need, exactly. <laughs> what you need to do is buy the premises with your superannuation fan. self-manage. So obviously, I'm not a financial advisor, but you really have to think in this way. And whenever your company that runs the dental surgery pays the rent, you will pay to yourself manage a superannuation firm, which obviously pay less taxes. The day that you decided to sell the surgery, your capital gain on that premises, it's almost irrelevant.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So this is what Australia allows you to do, which I believe is very mature, very smart, and it takes away a lot of uh, costs from the government. If you retire, you don't have any money. But in this way, once you retire, they don't need to think about you.
1: Mm.
0: So that's are the three things I recommend. Think about your product. Think about in which context you are. Create a team of people you trust and grow together. Set up your business in a smart way.
1: Uh, there's just such good information there. And I love the, the concept of thinking about your product. It's like if you think about any business um, other than healthcare, it's obviously all about the product you buy. You know, it's the iPhone for what it is. So, they make their product beautiful and effective and all those things. And then in healthcare, it's easy to think, oh, you know, just to, to forget about that level of service or point of difference or whatever it is. Um, and you obviously mentioned something really important, which is thinking about the future and setting Things up properly, and perhaps you know, talk with a financial advisor, or accountant, whoever early on before you set yourself up in a way that doesn't really work for you. Um, just great advice. Um, there are some other things we wanted to um, cover and you've had a lot of time in, in university and, you know, you've done the PhD, you've t- taught with Sydney University for 20 years or almost 20 years. Um, w- what's that experience been like and what um, would you recommend people get into the university teaching? Tell us a bit about that.
0: Well, the first thing I really want to tell you do one want to lose the opportunity to do that is that we have... A very different culture now, the Declin Dent Pros. We have a, a new boss, uh, um, associate professor, um, um, Dale House. Uh, he's from South Africa. He's a very competent prosthodontist, in particular, maxillofacial prosthodontics. But I think the more important thing is the culture. Uh, we work now, in particular, where I work, a Sydney Dental Hospital. I'm just next door to Axel Bar. Professor of Periodontics. Downstairs, we have Ali, and We're doing lots of multidisciplinary cases, and we have a new intake of students next year for prosthodontics after putting the course on hold for two years. And the reason why we did that is because we really have been changing so many things that it just wasn't possible to do these changes and run the program as well. So a high core is the head of the school, another amazing mind. I'm actually very happy now to work with these people. Uh, it, it's, it's fantastic. And this is a great time. If a person can afford to stop for three years and do a specialty, can be orthopaleo or prosthodontics, uh, it's a great time because the culture is great. It's perfect and you will learn a lot. Um, from a personal ground, the, I think that my love for the university comes from the fact that as I grew as a child, um, um, I didn't have a feedback. So my parents uh, were very young. They were kids during the Second World War, and they just survived to the Second World War, which is already amazing <laughs> in Italy at that time. Um and obviously, they didn't have an education. They did very well with business, and so I was able to move on. But they were not able to sit with me as I do with my kids and tell me what I do right or what I do wrong. So I understood my place in society when I went to university, and I was treated fairly. And so you study, you're doing your exam well, you get high score. If you do something poorly, and then... Your marks are a little bit less. Okay. So, and I thought that well, it was pretty fair and encouraged me to work hard. So they replaced my parents in telling my role in society. And I think that created some sort of emotional link with university because uh, I think it's the environment that um, I feel comfortable with. There's no doubt. So, but I love seeing patients and I see the drawbacks of working full time in university. And that's why I'm in private practice. So I think uh, if anybody wants to join a, a postgraduate program, now is really a great time to do it.
1: There's no doubt there will be people listening, particularly those who are interested in um, prosthodontics and they're, you know, they see you know, Prof. Max Gazzardo is on the podcast, they're going to listen and that, that is really encouraging words. Um, uh, I think, And actually, you
0: know, David, from that perspective, if someone wants to know more, about that, just contact me directly.
1: Yeah, that that's really good too. And I right? can
0: have a phone call and explain. I'm, why I'm, I'm sure.
1: I'm sure you're going to get a few. <laughs> you're going to
0: get good, a few out of good. that. I hope. I that's hope you do. You want.
1: I, well, I love what you're doing there with the university. What you're doing there with um, Highlands Professional Development as well in the more CPD sense for for general dentists who aren't specialising and you know giving back what you've learnt and what you've learned has been. Um, you know, it's it's a literally a laundry list of things, which is amazing. I, I want to tie this all up with just one last question. I'll always ask this question. And I want you to think about all of the people who are just about to graduate. So, we're, we're in, um, well, it is Halloween today. So, we're not doing the CAD CAM course because of COVID. But um, think about all the ones who are about to graduate. And if you could, you could teach them just one thing, all of them are listening and they're all going to oh. learn this. So, you, you're changing a generation by teaching this. What is that thing that you would like them to know?
0: I definitely working in a team. Um, of all things that we discuss, is uh, the worst thing that you can do is uh, is to open your practice by yourself and and not sharing with with other colleagues. And the interaction is where you grow and you understand your mistakes. And, and that's look at what you're doing. I'm sure that from your initiative or podcast, so you you bump into so many people, and you learn a lot by by chatting as well. And I learned from you today. <laughs> so,
1: <laughs> my, uh, my my job of psychologist is
0: <laughs> actually I forgot to tell you, but I also studied psychology after dentistry as I was doing my residency in you know, oral surgery, but only for two years when it wasn't compatible anymore to do the two things together. Going back to what we would recommend is really make an effort and try to work in a team and possibly a good team. So
2: uh,
0: I was very selective when I, after graduation, so for a few months I didn't know what to do and then I got into the residency and immediately after, again, for a few months I was a little bit wobbling on what to do. And and then uh, eventually you find the right setup. Just a, and the right setup is where you find people you can learn from and you can share. I think that's the most important thing. And of course, the role of continuing education is massive. But when you're doing your continuing education, you have to be organized. Meaning, you just don't go there, sit down like a like a melon, and write some notes and then put in a corner. Don't look at it again. Try maybe to establish a situation and. A relationship and make sure that you absorb and get some notes. I don't like that type of continuing education that doesn't doesn't share any notes, just to protect the copyrights. That's useless because it doesn't give you the opportunity to to go back on the topics. So we actually share everything in in our courses, and there are lots of other people doing the same. Uh, so the role of continuing education is crucial as part of the of the communication i'm not that keen on media i have to say um i see too much rubbish on media but but occasionally you might find something good so you have to select quality from that perspective Mm. yes and you
1: have to have a a level of understanding to be able to recognize the good from great or the. unfortunately yes yeah yeah yeah
0: yeah there are some websites that you can't miss if you're interested in dental implants. I have to recommend this one is uh, www.for which means for oral rehabilitation.organization. So this one is a website uh completely sponsored by Nobel Biocare. You don't see however much of Nobel Biocare advertising or promotion actually you don't see anything Uh, but there's all people that normally present for noble biocare apart from myself (laughs) which i do but i'm not in this website and that shows you how genuine i am because i'm not on this website but having said so i think that the amount of information is excellent it's for free so and there's all 20 minutes presentation that everybody can swallow um and there's also some topics uh, organizing books uh, or multiple presentation so this is really an amazing source of information if that's, you're interested in implants
1: that's really great actually um personally um thank you for that that's going to be great for me but um obviously there's thousands of people hopefully listening that'll find that useful and I'll make sure it's in the show notes. Um, you mentioned a few really, really great things, you know, the CPD and making sure you go actively listening and writing your notes, but then reviewing your notes. And um, that's something that's quite important to me. It's something with CPD Junkie that we, we've got a little template to help people kind of do that. Um, and you mentioned about working in a team and I really like the thing that you mentioned at the start. You're talking about, um, your, you know, your own Business and employing others, and then having a quality control and a, a feedback loop that allows you and everyone else to develop. And those points and concepts, um, I, I really think have a lot of weight and make a lot of sense. I want to, I want to say thank you. you. We've we've spent over an hour and a half talking today, and I've literally Excited. been. <laughs> I I, have, I think this has been fantastic, and I'm sure that there, there's so many people listening right now, an hour and a half in, who have been not on the edge of their seat. They're probably driving or riding a bike or running. But this has been fantastic. There's a lot of great things here. And I want to say thank you to what you do for the profession. Thanks for coming over to Australia because it's been pretty good for us. Um, <laughs> and uh, I hope and look forward to seeing you in one of your courses, hopefully maybe in Italy.
0: <laughs> that would be amazing. I have to thank you, David, for organizing this. You're so young. You can imagine where you're going to be with your profession, considering your energy and your intelligence in doing this. So, and actually, Australia has been extremely good to me. Um, before coming to Australia, I visited, I planted, I studied the culture, and I thought I would have fitted okay. And I never changed my mind. I found the most amazing people here. So I'm extremely grateful to Australia for, for everything.
1: 3M ClinPro White Varnish, 5% sodium fluoride with tricalcium phosphate for a targeted and sustained fluoride and calcium release. ClinPro white varnish flows across tooth surfaces when it comes in contact with saliva, releasing fluoride and calcium over the life of the varnish, up to 24 hours. Studies have shown the longer a varnish is in contact with teeth, the more effective it is. Simply put, if you're going to apply a fluoride varnish, staying in contact matters. So why not consider 3M ClinPro white varnish? Visit the show notes to request a sample and see the studies. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you 3M for supporting the Mental Head Start podcast. What a journey. Uh, It's just an incredible story and Associate Professor Max Gazzardo, he's a true gentleman, a really nice guy to talk to. I really enjoyed that. I hope you got a lot from it. You can find out more about what he's doing to help pass on his knowledge at highlandspd.com.au. I know I'm going to have my eyes on the trip to Italy when COVID all disappears. And now, we have Dr. Vishal Gupta talking about composites. And this is actually a snippet from his lecture on restorative fundamentals, a course on rightglobal.com. This is a course that has a ton of information about restorations and the fundamentals that you really need to get the efficiency and remove the headaches from your restorative procedures. We've got Dr. Lincoln Harris. He's talking about restorative headaches, composites with Dr. Vishal Gupta, Um, rubber dam, we've got digital prosthodontics, Dr. Michael Fraser's Non-Implant Replacement Options, Single Missing Teeth. This course is really something to solidify what you need to know to make general dentistry profitable and efficient. If you're interested in this course, they've offered our listeners at Dental Head Start 20% off. You can find that code at dentalheadstart.com slash Global. Make sure you use that by the 31st of December 2020. Let's hear from Dr. Vishal
2: Gupta so dental composite technology has advanced so much now we got amazing set of materials so in fact there was a time when we were we were always thinking about the fact that you need um, a material which uh, has good aesthetics but then there was a compromise in the strength but with the new na- nano hybrids and pure nano composites that we have that that, that uh, is no longer a challenge these days so if you use a nano hybrid and nano composite um, and you are trying to restore in size edge you can you you are getting the best of of both the worlds you're getting strength and as well as you're getting the aesthetics and not just aesthetics uh, immediate aesthetics also because of this new dynamic composites they have the ability to retain the polish for a longer period of time and therefore apps, the, therefore that's very important so, so just a small tip that I want to give you is if you want are looking for a material you need to understand and see that all those materials give you wide range of capacities and translucences uh, which can simulate the natural structure and second, second part you need to think about uh, is the strength so you look about nano hybrids and nano composites so they are giving you strength and giving you aesthetics as well um, so with enhanced properties, optical properties um, uh, that, that you have is, you know, uh, with the newer materials um, we, can, uh, we can simulate uh, various effects in the tooth. We can simulate the crack lines, we can simulate uh, uh, the fissure, we can simulate uh, the, opales, uh, the opalescence, we can simulate the intensives, incisal halo, all that stuff. So, if, so that's, that's why materials are so important. So you understand the material science, you understand the optical properties of the materials and then you understand the optical properties of the tooth and then you try to match them. Uh, Last but not the least, you need to know about the various techniques of the various armamentary and the various ways that are available for you to achieve that uh, result. So, uh, I'm going to share different techniques of doing different different uh, cases, same cases, different techniques and, and you'll see that uh, you get different, uh, same kind of results. It's, it's, uh, it's all a matter of what really works in your hand and what you have grown up learning and practice learning. Um, I always try to experiment with different techniques and I try to formulate my own recipe as to what really works for me and what kind of cases I would do what kind of technique. And I'm going to share my experiences with you and I'm sure you probably would be having some different experiences and I would love to learn that as well. Now, if you look at the aesthetic triad of a tooth, um, a lot of people uh, lay lay a lot of emphasis on color. I think, um, and I really don't uh, lay a lot of emphasis on on, on the color of a tooth. For me, what is more important, the most foremost thing, is the shape. If you get the shape of a restoration right, you get the shape of a tooth right. If you make the two incisors mirror images, then even if you have faltered with the shade a bit, for example, instead of let's say a, um, a, A1, you got a B1, but then you've got shape right, the patient doesn't mind. But you've got sh- if you've got a shade right, and you've messed up with the shape, the patient is gonna tell you, okay dog, this tooth looks smaller than the other one. And, and that is the real concern. So you really need to focus on shape. The second thing is the texture. When you look at the tooth, the, tooth the, the label surface of the tooth is not, it's not smooth, it gets smooth, smoothened over a period of time in an aged tooth but when you look at a young tooth, it's got undulations and depressions. You need to understand, you need to simulate all those secondary anatomies, those secondary ridges, those relief areas and that is really important because all the specular reflections that you see on the tooth is going to give a, a feeling of vitality to the tooth and that is the most important part for me. And the third is comes again, again, as the, that's the last in the spectrum is the colour. Of course, you need to understand about the color because um, uh, aesthetic dentistry is all about color. I mean, we always talk about color all the time. Now, uh, I, I think the color matching is, or uh, is the most empirically misunderstood and poorly taught discipline uh, in dentistry. Um, and when you're trying to achieve an aesthetic result, mostly when you do your, your composite, you always are sometimes unhappy that the color is not matching, it's become more opaque, or it's become the tooth has lost its value, it's become more, uh, uh, you know, it's called darker in color. Uh, so I think inadequate color matching is a factor responsible for many failures in search of excellence. And a lot of people think that color matching is an art. Um, well, well, I think that color matching is Um, As much as it's an art, it's also a visual discipline. It's how you train your eye. It's when you are able to train yourself, when you're able to practice uh, matching colors, uh, you'll be able to understand the slight subtleties that that are there in different uh, shades and uh, different composites. So you need to train your eye. So it's like a visual discipline and like any form of discipline, uh, it requires knowledge, it requires uh, time, and requires training so if you have knowledge if you put if you're willing to put your knowledge you're training yourself uh, that's what is going to give you predictable results every time you do it so you need to understand you need to practice it so it's not just like an art okay, okay you know this guy he's got a sensitive eye he can understand the colors no you if you keep practicing if you keep looking at the colors uh, the shades you'll be able to understand the subtleties of the color and you'll be able to simulate those in the in your loss structure